Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. An evening with Lawrence McKenna. Welcome back to The Front 3. Um, we're not here this week, unfortunately, to talk about Tottenham Hotspur and their momentous win in the Carabao Cup last night over Chelsea. Um, a game packed full of incident. Jose versus Frank. Eric Dyer doing his business on and off the pitch, apparently. And Dave O'Brien scoring his first goal for Chelsea. A big moment for you, Dave. Yeah, big moment for me. First goal in the Premier League, obviously, a bagged uh, many goals in the Bundesliga. Absolute bagsman over there. But, it, you know, it's taken some time. It really has. It's it's kind of affected me. My sleep pattern's all over the place. Oh, uh, I, I just, you know, it's it's been stressed. But the first goal, of course, didn't really want to take a peno. It's not really my thing. I was uh, going to say, yeah. An open play. You know, first goal. It's, it's going to be the first of many for Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. Is, are you getting this a lot, this team of earner thing? Because I literally had... Uh, a mate of mine texted me last night saying it's been bugging me for, for weeks now I can't decide who Timo Werner looks like and I was like it's Dave and he was like oh yeah it is uncanny isn't it <laughs> oh, it's a little bit you know me and brother Timo we've been been separated from birth uh, obviously Timo went down the line of being in Stuttgart and then going to Leipzig I've, I've had a separate path Manchester London long lost brothers Absolutely. That explains it then. Um, unfortunately, we're not here to talk about Timo Werner, your brother, Dave. We're not here to talk about Spurs either. We are here to talk about Manchester City. And you guys will be glad to hear it is a full house this week. The whole front three are here, the whole front five. Firstly, myself and Dave are going to be discussing new signing Ruben Diaz and whether he fixes City's defensive issues before Chris and Nico discuss why defenders are so exposed in a Guardiola system. And finally, Lawrence McKenna himself joins us to give the Liverpool perspective on their title rivals and Guardiola. But of course, we are talking about Manchester City because as we all know, against Leicester, we saw a Pep Guardiola team concede five goals for the first time in his career as a manager. And with Liverpool showing they're not slowing down, already there are doubts as to how serious Manchester City's title challenge is going to be this season. And all this despite Pep Guardiola spending some £400 million on defenders at City since 2016, including the £65 million splashed on Benfica defender Ruben Diaz this week, and with Guardiola reportedly desperate to add another new left-back before the transfer window closes next Monday. I mean, it is pretty ridiculous, Dave, that City are this poor at the back, given what the defence cost to assemble. I mean, even Ake... Walker, Garcia Mendy, not Guardiola's first choice defence against Leicester by any stretch of the imagination, but still one that cost £150 million to assemble. Oh, £150 million? You're obviously not following the Statman Dave Twitter account because we've priced up as £140 million. Garcia oh, for a free transfer, Walker £47 million, Ake £41 million, and Mendy 52 So look, Boltwood, you need to follow the proper accounts, the GOAT accounts on the internet, mate. Come on, you're better than that. I was close. I'm sorry. But no, I think it's 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 terrible recruitment 
Um, and looking at that back four at the back end of the last season, City needed a right back, left back, and a centre back. They've gone and bought Nathan Ake and Ruben Diaz that, yes, are good, potentially very, very good players under Guardiola, but it's not a Kula Bali. And that is what they should have bought. It's as simple as that. They've they've misrecruited at centre half again. They've spent more money on players that may or may not work in the Premier League. You've signed Diaz, who's been playing in Portugal his entire career. No, he, he looks like a very very competent player. I saw him at youth level. Looked like you know very commanding on the ball. He's tall. He's athletic. He's strong. But we've seen that with City defenders before that they have all these attributes and then they just fail because playing in the Guardiola system is is tough. It's a tough position to play. You have to be so good on the ball, but as well, you've got to be so good in the negative transition. And it feels like, again, that they've just splurged some cash and they've not really dealt with the problems. Look, I think Benjamin Mendy was done two years ago and he's still at the football club. And it, that is a real issue for them. If you've still got a left back that can't attack, can't defend, isn't very good on the ball, what are you doing? When you've got Angelino that was at RB Leipzig, and I watch a lot of Leipzig, he's a fantastic wing back. He's brilliant. His delivery is absolutely fantastic. Technically very good, good on the ball. And they could have brought him back, but then they've loaned him out to sell again. And it's it seems like this recruitment strategy of for City at the moment is is crazy. And that's without talking about Pep Guardiola's tactics. <laughs> talk talk to me about Guardiola's tactics then, because defenders are clearly vulnerable in his system. But what could he be doing to to mitigate that? I think he's just bottling himself. I think that's the really interesting part is that, you know, you go into the game, you play 4-2-3-1 against a 3-4-2-1. There's natural overloads in the centre of the park for Leicester City if they want to expose you in that area. It's a 3-V-4. And then you take off a holding midfielder and it basically becomes a 2-V-4. So you're thinking that Rodri was partnering Fernandinho at the base. Yeah, Pep wants to add a striker on. He wants to bring on Liam Belap. Why the hell has he taken off a DM? The shape completely changed. It went from a 4-2-3-1 to pretty much a 4 one one four. And they lost control. And they, it was genuinely Pep Guardiola making these mistakes himself. You know, you go back and look at those Leicester City goals, the amount of space Leicester have before the goals. They're not transitional goals. They're building in City's half. They're playing football in City's half. And City can't put a glove on them. And then you can't do that if you're playing a high line. And it's like this consequent issue that if you don't control the midfield, as Guardiola loves to do, and he loved to do when he was at his pomp, what's he doing now? He's not controlling the midfield. He's playing two strikers it's just not Guardiola-esque and it's it's big issues and it's really it's an interesting one for City yeah the penalties obviously pull the game to a certain point but they deserve to be on the back end of five goals they really did why is that then because uh, you know Pep Guardiola to me I think most people agree is a bit of a football genius but there does seem to be this this idea that he's lost his aura of invincibility in recent years and people are questioning his, his tactical decisions, accusing him of overthinking big games, specifically in the Champions League last season. There does seem to be this this vulnerability there that perhaps wasn't there before. Would you agree with that? Do you think Guardiola and City, by extension, seem more susceptible in recent times? No, you go back to Bayern Munich. They played three at the back against Neymar, Suarez and Messi. They, they did that. That happened. That happened in the Champions League semi-final. You know, I don't forget these things, Boltwood. Yeah, I, don't, I don't forget these. My memory's very, very long with Pep Guardiola. I respect And I think that's that was the start of him being a little bit too... I don't know even know what, how to describe it. Too ballsy in his approach. Mm. You can't go 3v3 against one of the best front threes in world football of all time. Okay, that's crazy. It's just overthinking things. And you take the Leon game as a prime example. Why did he play a back three? He didn't need to. Leon are, are not a good side. They were a very, very poor side last season. They came seventh in Liga before it was cancelled. They weren't a good footballing team. 
yet he moves away from his traditional 4-3-3 in this big game, plays a back three and gets beat. And they get beat because they, they're not used to playing this back three. And it's, it's, it's an interesting one. It really is. It's interesting you talk about having a long memory. Obviously, you're talking about some of those incidents at Bayern Munich. And I definitely think his time there, there was a little bit of a sheen almost taking off of his, his reputation. Obviously, he was there to win the Champions League. It didn't happen. They've won the Champions League since. But it just seemed like in those first couple of seasons at Manchester City, he seemed to have rediscovered that, that aura, that swagger. No one could beat the City team. No one could lay a glove on them. However in the season or so since, it does seem that they've lost almost that belief in themselves. I mean, what what, what do you put that down to? Do you think Guardiola has lost some confidence? Is he overthinking things? Is he too stringent? Is he too tied to some of his ideas and, and too wedded to them? It's just, I know it's an intangible, it's difficult to, to sort of put a finger on it. But you look at Liverpool and you never feel, or they never feel like they're going to lose. They always believe they can win. But with City... They just seem seem fallible. They're there to be to be got at now. Guardiola and City are there to be beaten now. Yeah. Liverpool are a better football inside than City. They're better on the ball. They're better off the ball. They pass better than City, and that's something that that's not something that Guardiola will like to hear. But that's the truth. City aren't aren't good anymore. They're not. They they've not evolved. And I think that's the big issue. You know, go from playing the two three eights and two wingers and a centre forward and, and dominating English football. You need to evolve. Look. What are Liverpool doing? They're attacking with their fullbacks. City may need to go to that type of strategy. Look, Carl Walker is sensational going forward. Absolutely sensational going forward. You, you would know as a, as a Tottenham fan, Adam, but we've not, we haven't seen that properly as a proper weapon for three to four years. You Look, now City, you're thinking their attackers are, are usually wrong foot other side, if that makes sense. So you're thinking a natural right player is going to play on the right side and cross the ball on the right side. City had that with... Sterling and Leroy Sane, a left and a right on the right side. Now they've got Sterling playing on the left at times and they've got Mahrez on the right, a left foot on the right, a right foot on the left. That just means you need natural width coming from fullback at some point. So where's Carl Walker joining the attack? When's, you know, you've signed Cancelo. Cancelo isn't a great defender, right? But he's a bloody good attacker. So where's the tweak in the system where City go, right, now we're going to set up like Liverpool. Now we're front three. And we're going to have our wingbacks going forward. And our central midfield is going to create a base. Like Kevin De Bruyne could play that position. Kevin De Bruyne could play any position. Yes, it may take down his productivity, but the side is going to be better. And that's the problem. There's been no evolution from Manchester City. They won. They got 100 points in the league and they thought, that's it. That's the that's the plan. The evolution has been trying to move Kevin to Kevin De Bruyne to number 10, but the system's really unbalanced with the fullbacks coming inside. Like it's a, It's a big mess and it seems like he's not got the solution at the moment. So poor recruitment from City as a club and a lack of tactical evolution from, from Pep Guardiola is what you're saying, Dave. Well, look, Adam, you're here to summarise things and I've just seen, you know, you've just hit the nail on that. I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> I really have, haven't I? Thank you. Um, let me finish on this then. Do you feel that Pep Guardiola's legacy has been somewhat tarnished by his time at Manchester City? Now, I admit that feels... Somewhat silly to say, given he's won two Premier League titles, four domestic trophies as well. In the same period, Klopp has won four major honours in total. Now, crucially, of course, that includes Liverpool's first ever Premier League title and the Champions League, which is the ultimate goal for Guardiola and City while he is at the club. But do you feel, is it fair to say that, that his time in Manchester has tarnished his reputation somewhat? No, no, you can't say that. I don't, I don't think you can say that. It's just... I think what you can say that he's not, you know, 
he's not pragmatic. And that's something that I've said for years. He's just not pragmatic. I mean, until he becomes pragmatic, he won't be dominant in European football, as in he's not going to be dominant in the Champions League. And that's the issue, is that he overthinks things in a way that's, that doesn't scream of pragmatism. Like, he's not playing an extra man at the back. He's not controlling the way. He's not playing the way that he should play in certain games. He's getting it wrong. So, yeah, I think they'll be tarnished a little bit. But at the end of the day, like, the Centurions were a great side. Really good Premier League side. You can't look past that. They were a very good, they were a very good football inside. So, it's going to be tarnished to a point. But then you've also got the emergence of Jurgen Klopp. And now Jurgen Klopp's just completely counter-pressed the shit out of Man City every single time they played together and beaten them. Uh, predominantly, obviously, the last uh, the game last end of last season it really matter for Liverpool already already champions. So it's about can Guardiola get back up to that level, and if if not, then Mikel Arteta is the perfect guy for Man City. They should just go to Arsenal and give him loads of money and take him back. <laughs> I'm joined by our resident Man City expert, Nico Morales. Nico, how are you doing? Pretty good, yourself? I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm not too bad. Your football club, the one that you love so much, <laughs> is about to add a new defender, Ruben Diaz. I guess the first question I have for you is, do you feel as if City need a centre-back right now? Uh, that's a complicated question. Uh, I think that has been one of the areas of concern for Manchester City for a while now, and I don't really think people fully understand how critical that role is to the club especially if um especially under pep and and you know sort of not just on the defensive side of the ball but the offensive side of the ball and how those two things affect one another you know it's a complicated position to fill for city but yeah i would say that it's it's kind of difficult to say that City are in need of any one position of any single position because they have a plethora of talented players across their team and to suggest that they need anything is probably to feed into that attitude that many people have that sort of comes from a FIFA-esque view of football as a whole Um, but I don't think they would be harmed by getting a a talented center back uh, to help them in their multi-competition quest you said that some people don't take things into account Jamie Carragher has absolutely taken Manchester's (laughs) defence into account quite literally with a breakdown of how much they've spent on defenders and he came out with and I will paraphrase slightly but Ruben Diaz has to work for Pep and that he is already potentially forecasting the end of Pep's time at City if this deal goes awry how would you kind of characterize Pep's ability with defenders and the system that he uses and, and why maybe people are coming to this conclusion that he hasn't had a lot of success with defenders in England? I think it's an interesting one because I remember reading in, I think it was Pep Clop Confidential or, or some Pep Guardiola-centric uh, book about his time at Bayern um, and his experience with Jerome Boateng specifically talking about how he was shocked at how little Boateng had been taught with regards to actual defending at a high level. He had the physical attributes down and there were certain positional and um, 
I guess, physical uh, elements to defending that Boateng was privy to and, and knew a lot about. But as far as defending in a tactical sense, holding a high line, when to go, when to when to hold off, uh, how to react in certain uh, situations, he was encouraged by the fact that he could teach Boateng so much. And I think we saw a lot of uh, Boateng's, you know, the best of his career under Pep Guardiola. So it's something that I think Wayne ebbs and, and flows and, and kind of comes and goes with regards to our perception of how well defenders do under Pep Guardiola. That being said, I think the system naturally exposes them. Um, and it doesn't really matter how talented you are on what side of the ball you are. It's a difficult system to play in. And Pep has said as much, you know, I remember that press conference a couple of years ago where he said, you know, John Stones has big balls. Um, it's difficult to play as a defender under me because I ask so much of them. There's 40 yards of backspace behind them and they have to deal with the long balls and they have to deal with the ball and progressing it. Um, and I think that's kind of a perfect summation of, of what it takes to play under him. You know, it's basically if I can, you know, summate it and, and uh, synthesize it down to a simple explanation. Manchester City like to hold a lot of the ball. They like to make the pitch very small and move the defense um, in, in the opposition's half and manipulate that defensive shape. And because of that, you know, they have to make the pitch small with regards to, uh, you know, the area, the relevant area of the pitch. And they do that with a really, really aggressive high line. Uh, and when it works, it aids the counter press and stops any chances from being created from a long ball. And when it doesn't, it puts defenders in really difficult, isolated 1v1 situations. And no matter where who you are, whether you're Otamendi or Laporte or Virgil van Dijk, it's difficult to parse those situations because due to the nature of defending, attackers always have the advantage. They're the ones making the initial move and defenders have to react or in some way try to be proactive by reading the game, but it's still difficult. So I think that's kind of why we we see defenders struggle a little bit under Guardiola is because you know, two to three times a game, depending on the opponent and how they're attacking and how they're doing certain things, you can be put in difficult situations. And that was on display against Leicester, obviously. And I think, you know, if anyone exemplifies it, Jamie Vardy is something of a silver bullet for that kind of uh, defensive or offensive approach. You know, he he's really good at running into to uh, to a large backspace and, and making defenders make stupid decisions or, you know, putting them in, in, in difficult areas. So I think that's a basic breakdown as to why it can be difficult to play under him. Mm, a port swigging silver bullet is Jamie Vardy. Um, <laughs> it's interesting you talk about that, actually, because I, I had a conversation with Carl Anker of The Athletic that that feels like it, it touched on similar themes that I've seen Johan Cruyff discuss about space and, and defending is essentially the management of space. And that's why he made Pep Guardiola look such a good defensive midfielder because he asked him to marshal a small space as opposed to a big space. And I, I likened it with Carl to some can marshal gardens, some can marshal beaches. And, and that is essentially the, the distinction. I know you haven't been able to see a lot of Ruben Diaz. I know you've talked to some friends and such who, who have seen more. If you could, what do you feel are the most important qualities that he will need? If I was to make this a very modern reference, to ask you to create a defender on FIFA <laughs> and only give you so many skill points, leaning very heavily on old, potentially outdated video game knowledge here, what would you put as the most important qualities you need from him 
to succeed and, and make the most of, of the situation with Man City. Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, I think we can often, because of the natural dichotomy of life, we can we can often look at things and say, well, I can maybe compromise here to have a, a greater excess here, or I can, you know, have this fault, but as long as I have this attribute, then it's okay. And, and that's not really possible to a certain extent under Pep Guardiola, at least in the traditional sense, because I think if you, you know, if you were to ask me to, to create a perfect central defender for Pep Guardiola, I think he already exists. And it's Imeric Laporte, right? He's extremely physically gifted. He's, he can keep, keep up pace wise with most of the, uh, you know, most of the quickest attackers in the world, but he's also exceptional on the ball. And that's, I think that's, that's part of it, you know, part of being, part of securing yourself as a defender and, and not exposing yourself or not exposing the team to those situations where, uh, you know, Aderson is put in a difficult position or a central defender is put in a difficult position is being proficient with the ball, right? The less you give it away, the less you give it away in bad situations um, and the smaller you make the pitch. So to make that countermeasure, the counterpress, um, easier for the forward players and the midfield players and even the defenders, the less you will encounter those situations. So part of step one to not being exposed under Pep Guardiola is having a proficiency and understanding as to what to do with the ball. Step two would just be, you know, that that physical safeguard, which is why I reference Laporte is like when things do go wrong, which is inevitable in any football situation, whether it's once a match or you know, five times a match, you have to have the physical qualities to, you know, be, yeah, at least give yourself a chance in those situations. And that's why I think, you know, Laporte has been such a success under Guardiola. And when he, right when he came in, he started playing and there wasn't really an adaptation period is because he already filled out all of the necessary, you know, requirements for playing in the system is that, like I said, he's really gifted with the ball, but also in those difficult situations he can bully attackers off the ball he can you know stall them enough to wait for the defensive shape to kind of regain its its uh, its structure um and he can keep up with some of the quicker guys and he's not stupid either you know he makes really smart decisions on the ball i think part of the reason eric garcia has found time is because he understands the possession system he knows where to put the ball he's also gifted as a as a ball player but i mean he's basically a 17 year old boy with regards to his physicality, you know, he gets bullied. Jamie Vardy had an absolute feast against that kid because he, he, he gained him and, and credit to Vardy, you know, he used his simplistic attributes to kind of completely have a field day on that kid, but there's not much Garcia can do. You know, he can't keep pace with him. He's definitely not stronger than him. And, uh, you know, he could only, he could only do so much in that regard. So that's, you kind of have to be a little bit of everything. And that's why I think we're seeing defenders and goalkeepers, specifically central defenders, go for so much money in today's markets because they have a little bit of everything when they are that player. Virgil van Dijk, worth every penny because he's like Laporte, very physically gifted, also very intelligent, also you know gifted with the ball. That's why these guys go for so much money because there's not really a lot of compromise in their game. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Joined now by Lawrence McKenna, your friend and mine. Lawrence, how are you doing? I'm definitely your friend. I don't know who's listening to the podcast. Uh, a, friend I'm good. Of, a friend of anyone that comes across him, I'd like to think. Uh, so to speak, yes. Uh, it's it's been, it's been a decent weekend for Liverpool fans, I think, because of everything else uh, that's been going on in the league and then what happened against Arsenal. But um, yeah, well, yes, it's, it, we're still only three games in, so we don't know whether full identity of the teams are and the transfer window isn't over we don't know what Man City are still going to do or even Manchester United yeah every, every brushstroke does feel like a broad one at the minute so the first question I've kind of got for you as we speak Ruben Diaz has, has just been confirmed as Manchester City's latest signing great how are you feeling about that from a, a Liverpool perspective as as looking across at someone that will undoubtedly be a rival for you this season in the Premier League race uh a good question. Um, I guess the thing that I'm the thing I'm always looking at is weirdly we treat every signing as if that is the uh, you know Jamie Carragher so I kind of referred to it as a make or break signing for Pep. In some ways it is. We do treat a lot of Pep signings because they're obviously all made with quite a lot of cash behind them uh, as if they are make or break in a way. But I do think we have to treat Man City a little bit differently. Um, mainly because we know they've got the resources. We know it's not just Pep making those decisions because, as we saw in All or Nothing, uh, it wasn't just Pep making those decisions. And there is some football um, reasoning behind their their uh, their their transitions and their, their transformation more recently. I just wonder whether, because consistently they've struggled to bed players in, uh, that seems to be more of a concern. The culture at the club seems to be a bigger problem than the actual transfers. Because looking at the players, very often on paper, you go, oh, that's good, that's good, this looks good. What's wrong here? And not only that, but you sort, I guess I sort of look throughout that squad and I think, well, if he left, he could go and do a job somewhere else. If he left, he could go and do a job somewhere else. So, it, it, it worries me in a sense, but it's, more, it's less about the player for me. It's more about what Pep ends up doing with him. Because I also think Pep Guardiola's got the ability to make or break a player, and therefore his own his own time at Man City now. Yeah, you mentioned Carragher's assessment there. I know you've had a lot of talks on the kickoff with the guys about the amount of money Pep spends. It does seem like a very dominant narrative with him. I, I'm not as invested in getting into the money side of things now. It's a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's almost like it, it. You can almost get carried away with it sometimes, and it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a very powerful argument to make against Man City fans because they go, "Well, everything is relative." And I get that Man mm-hmm. City fans may be a little uh, more biased in the same way as I would be biased towards Liverpool all the time. Um, but on the opposite side of that, I guess, you know, whether they've got a lot of money to spend or not, that, you know, there is a lot of uh, worry, I guess, behind the scenes as to whether Pep has lost any of the dressing room, some of the dressing room, one or two of the players, whether he still has the faith of those guys, whether a player coming in is going to be able to solve that. Um, and I guess it's strange because 
weirdly, we don't quite, I'm not sure we treat Pep or Man City or even Liverpool or any, a lot of Premier League teams with um, the respect that they deserve. And I think we have eroded away a lot of the respect in recent years. as We've almost got more familiar with all these top teams. Very strange because we're still so respectful of a Sir Alex and what he did um, or, you know, a, a Wenger or years ago and what he did. There does seem to have been a bit more of a, uh, I don't know, a, uh, I know, a breakdown of respect for a lot of these guys and what they're actually achieving being, let's face it, like some of maybe the best thousand people who play football in Europe right now and coordinate football. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you, actually. You, you support a team that signed Virgil van Dijk. There was a similar focus on the fee and this is crazy how much he costs, etc., etc. When we look back on that now, I don't even think the ink on Diaz's contract had had time to dry when I saw people saying, this is a Virgil van Dijk level fee in pure monetary terms. Do you think he changed the market in terms of defenders and the appraisals because of how well he's done? Um, yes and no. I'll point to the fact that Pogba was signed before him and there was already a bit of a change in the market already. You remember on this mm-hmm. podcast, actually, you know, we were making fun of obviously Statman Dave at the time and saying this is an exorbitant amount of money to spend. And he said in a few years time, this will be the norm and true to form. You know, a lot of things that Dave's, a lot of things that Dave says in football have come true. Um, and, you know, the same has happened with, with that. It's, it's about your return on investment. The ROI on Virgil van Dijk is incredibly high. And um, that's ultimately what I think a lot of players with a big, a high transfer fee are uh, judged on. He's returned in, you know, in a narrative sense again, but also in statistical senses because, you know, Virgil was part of those teams. Mm-hmm. A Champions League and a Premier League. And both one of those two... Uh, is extremely valuable to Man City. Both of them are extremely valuable, but one of them is coveted. And that's partly, again, if I think partly, if Liverpool hadn't won the Champions League in the last few years, we might be a little softer on the way, where Pep Guardiola's at. But the fact is, they've reached two finals in three seasons, or four, four finals in three seasons. Uh, sorry, four final, four, three finals in four seasons. I need to get that right. Uh, because they reached the Europa League or whatever. Um, and that's special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pep hasn't managed that. Pep hasn't gotten beyond the semis. And I think he has, what I'm saying is Virgil van Dijk has, has changed things for all these managers because now when they sign a, one of these guys, people go, is this their Virgil van Dijk? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, we didn't say that before. And respectfully at the time to Liverpool, we were saying he's a big piece, but we weren't saying, is this Liverpool's, you know, uh, Magnus Opa? Jewel and the crown. I I am curious as well. I talked to Nico a little bit earlier and he explained to me how the system that Pep employs, it does ask a lot of defenders. And I think there's a wider point. It's really the responsibility of how much space you ask a player to govern. That is often what defines whether they're seen as a good or bad defender. And that with him and Pep Guardiola, when he was a player, he gave Pep very limited space to defend. So it made him look like a very good defender. And Cruyff said himself, I wasn't a good defender, but if you put me in a small space, I can stop in theory anybody. Liverpool, as recently as Monday against Arsenal, gave up a lot of space in their own half. They they put you right, they, they reduced the space that Arsenal had in their half 
but that in turn left a big gap behind. Right. Can you explain to me how Klopp effectively makes it so that they don't get overrun in that way? They don't constantly concede attacks. There really was those two chances that, that Arsenal had, the Lacazette one-on-one and the goal, which if we're being very frank about it, was more, I think, about Robertson's mistake than it was necessarily Arsenal applying a finishing touch. Well, if Robertson gets gets that away, then we'd just go, well, that was a half chance at best and mm. Arsenal have screwed up an opportunity there. Um, I, it, Klopp is a manager who enjoys uh, framing risk. Um, and I think that that's what he's incredibly good at. He's incredibly good at reframing a negative, incredibly good at reframing very often. You know, I think you know, we're a bit swayed by the space that we're in. Klopp is very good at going, right, you see a negative, I see this. I guess for that back line, Klopp will be saying a similar thing where it's like, look, you push up and the likelihood is that we'll have two or three balls over the top. But those, A, those two or three balls uh, you'll be able to catch up with because you are all incredibly fit in this back line. Robertson's incredibly good at recovering. I think Trent's recovery is probably going to need some work, but... And, you know, Gomez and Van Dijk are very good at keeping up with fast players. And that was mm-hmm. part of it, I guess, at the time. Is even when I was looking at the Allison chance, when Lacazette went to chip it, I thought there was a player sprinting alongside him there. He might get to the line in time. Klopp does risk because how often, you know, so many of those times it was offside. Um, and at the same time, if the reward is that you win the ball high up the pitch, then great, go with that because that's what you know. Klopp will score a goal there. I guess it, in many ways, Liverpool have got the luxury of basically going, "You score, we're confident we can score." Whereas actually, that and there's a lot of people at the moment who maybe have the mentality is, "You score, uh, let's see what happens." Klopp's reframing this constantly. Yeah, it's certainly one to watch for sure. Are you a, sub- a subscriber to that Carragher theory that we discussed before that this signing will ultimately define? the future of Pep Guardiola? Um, I mean, I guess there's a real problem for Pep in that he's seen as having weakness in a number of areas. Pep was lucky to have some centre-backs who almost naturally were good at dealing with the aerial threat that other teams maybe um, imposed on them or would would try to impose. And I do wonder whether he's able to coach um, that kind of player after not having to maybe do that elsewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I think there's a number of things that we could probably use to define uh, Pep Guardiola. I think, you know, we've probably been incredibly unfair on him a number of times in the press. I think we're probably going to be very harsh, mainly because we see him, we see him have an incredible amount of luxury and we want to therefore, I don't know, maybe taper that in a way, but it sometimes can feel a bit unfair. Like I keep saying, Pep's a boutique manager. Um, I don't know. I and there's a, what I was going to say was, I don't know whether there's much digging in sometimes with Guardiola. Because I think in some ways the perfectionism of what he requires, um, if it doesn't happen, then he sort of goes, well, no, this one's done, next. Um, and he almost needs things to go perfectly. I, I'm very sympathetic for what he's going through right now because obviously he's lost a parent as Hugh pointed out on the, the kickoff, I think that must be, you know, we all, especially since I recently became a parent, I started to realise what my own parents mean to me and what I might end up meaning to my own son. 
and you realize how important those people are. And I, you know, I think you know that as well, Chris, from, you know, your own mm-hmm. life experiences, how important having figures in your life is and, and how your life can change without those people. And I guess the problem for Guardiola is because there was so much, every club he's been at, there's been so much uh, narrative and, and PR surrounding him. And mm-hmm. it, Man City, there's very little sympathy for a man who has had a lot of money spent on him or has spent a lot of money and hasn't always, uh, and has maybe sometimes relied on the idea of it being, well, we're trying to play a very specific kind of football here. It's like, well, with with all due respect, you know, it's not working right now. What what are we doing about that? And it it must be frustrating for Pep to look around and go, hmm, Klopp is actually changing here. This Liverpool team has changed morphed over three seasons and now it's morphing again when Thiago is implemented when Jota seems to come in and almost be a I don't know an even amorphous of the front three that he has he's able to almost play along the front line and suddenly when I was you know a couple of weeks ago I was saying well you know Liverpool should have signed Werner I'm going okay well there must be a reason why and we're very kind to Liverpool because we've got that Michael Edwards figure we can write the stories about. It's in The Athletic, then it's in The Guardian, then it's in The Independent. And we know, you know, how that ladder works. Mm-hmm. At City, I think there's a bit of a veil over it because we don't know what the story is. And so when we can't see it, A, as journalists or as people who are covering, I'm not saying same as journalists, but as people who cover it, how can I express that when someone's going, trust us, we're just good people, we're doing a good thing? It's a bit like, well, show me then. Show me what you're doing. You know, uh, actually make that work. Uh, and it's not right now. And I think that that's why he's being incredibly harshly judged sometimes. And also, to some extent, I think, you know, there is still the idea that who's this guy coming in and telling other people how to do it? I, I still think that that exists from time to time. Well, if our listeners are thinking, who's this guy telling me all this stuff about football? Where can they find more of you at the precise moment? Uh, good, great. Uh, just go on Twitter. Although um, you know, I'm currently beefing Jack Whitehall, um, but outside of that, it's a good time. <laughs>